0: Welcome to The Kick in the Cast, the audio blog of a wannabe podcast novelist. My name's Chris, and this is episode 29. Hello and welcome back to The Kick in the Cast. So today marks a bit of a milestone for me and for this podcast. Now that Outcast is finished for the second time, it's time for me to show off some more of my writing so for the next two weeks I'll be taking a break from Dallin's world and instead diving into someone else's. When I first started this version of The Kick in the Cast, I gave a shout out to Chris Lester, a very successful author and podcaster who's built an incredible world of magic, technology, and a liberal dash of the supernatural. Now, in a lot of cases, such a blend is chaotic to say the least, but Chris has sculpted a wonderful world that sits right in the middle of the Venn diagram. At the core of it all, the aspects of his world are mere devices from which he draws to create incredible stories of individuals. I've been a fan of his for years, and when I was working up the courage to start this project, I looked a lot to his format to try and find out how I was going to present this show. I love the world of Metamorph City, and love even more that he's invited people to come in and play once in a while. Years ago, I submitted a story as part of a fanfiction invite. It wasn't really a contest. I lost track of the show for a while after submitting it due to life being, well, life. Imagine my shock when I picked the show back up to find out he'd not only accepted my story, but read it online. I felt stupid for having missed the episode when it actually dropped. Since then, I've been working on a sequel to that story, but it's turned into something a lot bigger. It's still in the works, and like I did with Outcast, I pulled this story out and gave it a once-over and made a few changes. It was mostly to strengthen the main character's motivation and to help justify his ultimate decision. So, for the next two weeks, I'm going to be airing the two-part audio version of Rebirth, my first Metamorph City fanfiction. For the sake of time, I'm not going to delve too much into the world of Metamore in general here, but if you have any questions about it, I'll gladly do my best to answer them on a future episode, but I'd also highly recommend that you go check out Chris's world over at The Raven and the Writing Desk and at metamorecity.com. But for now, let's get into Part 1 of Rebirth. Rebirth, a Metamorph City fanfiction, written and read by Chris Fitzston Friday, March 7th, 2006, Christos Reckoning, 8.30pm. Unleash your inner beast. Ready to accept the curse? Feeling the need to shed your skin? Unsure of what will happen? You don't have to do it alone. Empire University Theriomorph Workshop. Friday through Sunday in Phys Ed Main Auditorium. Trained peer counselors. Safe and secure surroundings. Magical aid teams on station. Workshop begins at 7 p.m. Fridays and goes until Sunday at 10 p.m. Sponsored by the EUSU, Empire University Students' Union. The poster wasn't overly spectacular, just some white Bristol board marked up with a black sharpie. However, like so many posters, its appearance was only secondary to the content it bore. It was this content that caught his attention a week before, and now which led him to this place at this time. Carl McAllister pushed open the door of the Phys Ed building and slowly stepped inside. Being here in the evening seemed so different when compared to normal class hours. Normally, the place was abuzz with students milling about, either fresh from the showers or heading to class. Now, it was eerily silent. Each of his footsteps echoed in the darkened hallway, making this place seem less like a place of education and more like a mausoleum. He knew there was no reason to fear, but the inevitable tingle of being alone in a big, dark building made him instinctively reach for the yew tree pendant around his neck. He wondered if he would have to get a new, unenchanted one after this weekend was over. Unlike many in Metamore City, he'd opted not to have an anti-curse talisman implanted just beneath his skin. He'd always known his need to block the curse was temporary. He knew this day would come. Following the poster's instructions, Carl headed for the main auditorium. He'd only been here once or twice before, but he knew just how insanely large the area was. He'd seen it partitioned into several smaller gymnasium sized areas before. It was an effective use of space, allowing for several classes, sporting events, or other functions to happen simultaneously. He wondered briefly if, given that this was happening at the auditorium, how many others were present, and how many would come after him. So far, he'd been alone on this journey, not having met any others. As he approached the auditorium entrance, he let out a sigh of relief as he saw at least a dozen other students standing in line ahead of him. The presence of other students calmed Carl's nerves somewhat. Not being alone meant that, at least, he wasn't unique in this quest of his. A few of them saw him coming and nodded their greetings. He nodded back and traded a few words of introduction before they all fell back into silence, waiting their turns. To Carl's amazement, it didn't take nearly as long as he thought it would for the line to move. After about fifteen minutes, he found himself standing before a burly but no less feminine ursine theriomorph. He tensed at first, unsure of how to act in front of such a being, but when she looked up and smiled warmly, his tension all faded away. In that non-human smile, Carl suddenly felt comfortable. "'Good evening,' she said, her voice matronly. "'Your name?' "'Carl McAllister,' Carl stammered in reply. He reached almost too quickly into his right back pocket and produced his student ID card. The ear sign took it and ran it over the portable scanner on the table at which she sat. "'Okay, Mr. McAllister,' she said. Do you have your papers from the Magistrix? Oh, right here. Carl reached into his left back pocket and handed her several sheets of paper. This was a signed affidavit and declaration from the Office of the Magistrix, approving his formal request to take the curse. Normally dangerous and random, the magistrics had the power to manipulate the magic and focus a facet of it on a person, depending on their preference. Some chose the gender-shifting curse of the androgyne while others chose the age ambiguous form of the pedomorph. Carl's choice was neither of these, rather choosing the one form that would make him stand out like a sore thumb in a crowd. The curse of the theriomorph. The Ursine reviewed the document briefly, making sure it was legitimate and that everything was indeed in order. Okay, Mr. McAllister, she said after a moment. Everything looks good here, except Except well, she said, the form's a bit dated. It's almost a year old. Oh, <laughs> that, said Carl with a nervous chuckle. I actually put in my application just before I started here. He rubbed the back of his neck. Just took some time to, you know. The ursine smiled and chuckled. I understand, Hun," she said sweetly. It's easy to apply, but not so easy to go through with it. She tapped a few keys on her computer to which the scanner was attached. Moments later, she wrote B-13 on a piece of paper. Here you are, she said, handing it to him. Just head on in and follow the signs. Thank you, Carl said. He took the paper and proceeded past the earth sign and into the auditorium. The moment he crossed the threshold, he instantly felt like a rat dropped into a maze. Even after the first left turn he was surprised to see that there were no openings in the walls. Given the lineup he'd been in earlier, and the fact that the workshop ran all weekend, he figured he would have seen some indication of where everyone was. Yet, he saw nothing but pages with arrows drawn on them, showing him where to go. Finally, after feeling like he'd been going in circles for an eternity, he spotted an opening in the wall. Next to the opening a sheet of paper hung with B-13 written on it. Finally, he said softly as he stepped inside. In the time it took him to make it here, his initial resolve to go through with this was beginning to falter, again. Now that he finally arrived, his growing anxiety faded once more. This was further than he'd come in the past, and he told himself there would be no turning back now. Tonight, he would finish this. Tonight, he would start over. A sound from behind him caused Carl to turn quickly. His eyes widened first in shock, then in understanding as the opening through which he'd come slowly closed. That explained why he hadn't seen any of his predecessors during his journey here. They'd already found their rooms. He wondered briefly if the signs that led him here were changing as well. (laughs) Of course they were, weren't they? It only made sense, after all. Magic doors, magic signs. He grasped his pendant tightly once more, long since ingrained instincts guiding him. Carl watched until the door finally closed, effectively sealing him in this room. He lessened the grip on his pendant and turned back to the rest of the room. It was furnished simply enough. A cot, nightstand, two chairs, and a full-length mirror attached to one of the walls. He also noticed a grey tank top and matching shorts on the cot. Curious, he picked up the shorts. There wasn't anything overly spectacular about them until he tried to stretch them. To his surprise, the material in his hands was impossibly resilient, stretching easily as far as his arms could pull them. When he released them, they snapped back to their original shape. Understanding dawned on him right then as to the clothing's purpose. Depending on the shape one took as a theriomorph, normal clothing could potentially injure someone. Quickly, Carl stripped off his shoes, socks, jeans, and underwear, and donned the shorts. They were snug, but not so form-fitting as to appear inappropriate. Even still, the thought of him walking around in such a garment was uncomfortable, to say the least. He snickered at his own modesty. Gods. If his mother could see him now. Mother. He was about to reach for his shirt when he heard a sound. He spun and noticed the partition was beginning to open. He gripped his pendant once more, assuring himself that it was still there. Instantly he chided himself for such a childish move. Old habits die hard, he supposed. His head cocked to one side as another thereomorph entered, this one a vixen. She wore what looked like a white nurse's uniform which seemed to glow in contrast to her russet fur. Carl blinked. He recognized her. Shara? he asked. The vixen's eyes met his, her own taking a moment to scan and assess him before widening in recognition. Carl? she asked. She glanced down at the clipboard she was carrying and smiled. She'd been in such a hurry to get here that she hadn't bothered to look at the name. She looked more intently now, seeing the name beneath the heading of B-13. There it was. Carl Adam McAllister. Oh my gods, she said, her muzzle breaking into a grin. She closed the distance between them and tightly embraced Carl. He returned the embrace, letting out a long sigh of relief. I'm so glad you're finally here, she said, giving his cheek a tender nuzzle. A lot of it is thanks to you. Carl said. He and Shara were classmates, both lumped together as first year students at ESU. He was sure that they would eventually part ways as the years went on, but for now they were academic equals. They were by no means an item, but they were close friends. At first, he'd been reluctant to confide in anyone about his intentions of taking the curse. He didn't want her to think he was just being friendly to get information. However, when he told her of his plans, she not only understood his reluctance, but became a fountain of information that he ultimately needed. How are you feeling? she asked as they broke the embrace. I know it hasn't been easy for you to, well, to come here. I know, said Carl with a smile. But I figured now was as good a time as any. Shara cocked her head at this. There was more in that statement than Carl was letting on. She knew he'd eventually have to tell her, though. He had to for his own sake. For now, though, she had a job to do. Well, she said as they separated, let's get you settled. We've got a fair bit of ground to cover here. She took one of the chairs while Carl settled on the cot. She put her clipboard in her lap and quickly scanned over the first page. Okay, she said, her voice turning professional. "All your paperwork's in order? ID? Papers from the Majestrics? Negative chance of FPDD? Yep. She turned the page on her clipboard. So you realize, she began, still looking at the clipboard, that this is permanent, yes? There's no potion or magical remedy that can reverse the curse once it's taken hold. She pointed to his pendant. Once you take that off and the curse takes you, that's it. Carl snickered nervously. You make it sound so ominous, he said. Maybe, Shara continued. But consider this. You've had the blessing of the Majestrix for seven months. At any time, you could have slipped that pendant off and gotten it over with. Right. So why haven't you? I... The importance of her question hit Carl with the force of a troll's club. Because I was... Whoa. He rubbed the back of his neck. It really is that ominous, isn't it? Shara nodded gravely. You'd be amazed at how many people regret taking the curse the moment they look in the mirror, she gestured to the mirror on the wall. Some cry, some scream, and some even get violent, she shuddered. That's why this workshop exists. We're not here to talk anyone into or out of taking the curse, but to help them make their own informed, definite choice. Even then? Carl asked. Do you still get. Sharma nodded. Even then, she replied. Two months ago, someone came here and let the curse take him. He transformed into a wolf and was so horrified that he lashed out at his counselor. They were both in the hospital for weeks. A tear rolled down her muzzle. Two days after he was released, that wolf threw himself off the top of a parkade. She sniffed and wiped her tears away. But I thought a theriomorph could hold a human form, Carl said. I mean, sure, you have to spend time as a feral afterward, but... It's not that easy, Shara interrupted, raising a paw, hand. Yes, we can assume our human forms for a time. But believe me, after spending even an hour in your new form, shifting back is like sticking your head in a bag. She noted Carl's puzzled look. This change is more than cosmetic, she tried to explain. The entire world opens itself up to you in ways you can't possibly imagine. Your senses expand like a veil's been lifted off them, and everything seems different. And as for equalization, she continued, time spent as a feral is hell for a theriomorph. Her ears drooped. It's frustrating, like your mind is sealed in a cage. You can understand everything that's going on around you, and even understand what people say to you, but you have no way to respond. You can't speak, can't manipulate anything. To anyone out there, you're just another dumb animal and you have no way to dissuade them from it. Carl's heart clenched as Shara turned away. Her words were strained, as though she was pulling the explanation from somewhere deep within and struggling to get it out through the pain of it all. Gods, he didn't want to hurt her, even if he needed to hear what she had to say. He reached across and placed his hand on her knee. She looked up at him and regarded his pained expression. I'm sorry, she said after a few calming breaths. Having to pay the magic toll is uncomfortable for us. It's humiliating, turning into something even less human than we already are. Some people are okay with it and supportive when we have to change like that, but most aren't. Shapeshifting demons from the gods of shadow, Carl said. Shara's ears perked up at the cadence of his words. Something I heard, he explained. I never believed it, but I heard it enough growing up. I, that is, I hope I never made you feel that I was like that, Shara. The vixen looked at him and smiled. No, she said, and for that I'm grateful. Carl nodded and reclined back on the cot. For a moment, Shara missed the feeling of his hand on her. But you can see now just how important it is that you understand what all this entails. Carl nodded. Does it hurt? he asked. The change. Is it painful? Shara thought for a moment. Not really, she said. Think of it like going to the dentist. They shoot you full of Novocaine. And even though your brain is screaming that you should be feeling pain, your nerves don't register it. That's why so many people tend to sleep through their first transformation. Psychologically, it can be a bit more than disturbing to watch your body change and not really feel it. That explained the cot to Carl. He wondered briefly if he should have brought something to help him sleep if it came to that. Of course, with Shara here, perhaps it wouldn't be so bad. He trusted her both as a counselor and as a friend. If he'd been given the choice of who to be there with him when he finally changed, it would have been her. What was it like for you? he asked, immediately regretting the question. I'm sorry, he began to say. I didn't mean to. It's all right, Shara interrupted. Her tone of voice told him he hadn't crossed that line, but had come damned close. Both my parents are theriomorphs, foxes like me. I took the curse when I was only six. She smiled wistfully. I was so excited when they told me I could. I wanted to be like them so badly, Carl. I mean, it always felt strange, being a human with foxes for parents. I mean, no one ever made fun of me to my face, but for the longest time I just felt, well, like I disappointed them somehow. Disappointed? I thought I was a freak she said, looking away. I thought I should have been born a fox, and it wasn't until Mom sat me down one night and explained the curse to me that I understood. She and I spent hours talking about what it was like, the pros and cons of being a theriomorph, and that it was my choice whether or not to take the curse. Wow, said Carl. He felt a slight pang in his heart as Shara told her story. He envisioned her as a human child, sitting on her vulpine mother's knee as she doted over the little girl. He could almost feel the love in Shara's words as she spoke, which made his heart tighten even more. So, were they there when... Shara nodded. Mom and Dad stayed with me the whole night. As much as I wanted to be like them, it was still terrifying, watching my body change. She shuddered as she recalled that night. I don't remember any pain, though, she said just the change, and how my senses just opened up when it was over. A tear came to her eye. They said how proud they were of me afterward, and I could feel the truth in their words, Carl. I could feel their love for me. She let out a short laugh as she wiped away her tears and sniffled again. (laughs) Gods, she said. I shouldn't be crying this much. This is about you, Carl, not me. Yeah. His voice was suddenly flat, causing Shara to snap out of her revelry. She leaned towards him, placing a hand on his knee like he'd done to her before. There was a long, pregnant silence between the two before Carl finally let out a long breath. I don't know if I'm cut out for this, he said. And that's our story. The term FPDD that was referenced in the story stands for Feralistic Psychosocial Developmental Disorder. Successive generations of theriomorphs taking the same curse to become the same type of theriomorph gives rise to this potential genetic disorder. Basically, a child is born with their brains developing more like an animal's than a human's. Should someone with FPDD take the curse, they would go completely feral and sadly would have to be put down. The whole thing about the check for FPDD was a bit of an artistic license on my part. I figured since it's the Majestrix who manipulates the curse's magic to affect a person positively, then due diligence would dictate that a test be performed on a subject to check the potential of FPDD regardless of the person's background. I mean hey, even in a world of magic, gods, demons, and technology, CYA is a good thing. This past week has been rather exciting for me on many fronts. I had three different interviews for two different jobs, and managed to land one of them. It's a work-from-home job for now, and the pay-slash-benefits are nothing to sneeze at. To say that this is a huge load off my mind is an understatement. One less stressor to deal with. Also, I started putting out audio auditions for various projects via a website called Casting Call Club. Only one or two of these auditions are for paying gigs, but since I'm really just starting out as a potential VO artist, I figure any exposure now will lead to a payoff in the future. As of this recording, I've landed three parts, and have recorded two of them for submission. Once they're aired, I'll be sure to post links to them in the show notes. Both of them will be on YouTube, so it'll be pretty easy to pick up. And all my friends thought I was silly for doing stupid voices when I was younger. Well, let's see where this goes. And with that, I think I'll end it here. As always, thank you for tuning in, and if you'd like to leave some feedback, please feel free to drop me an email at outcastnovel at gmail or you can leave a soundbite via the Speakpipe app at kickity 5ca So until next time, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and above all, have a good week this is Chris signing off. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to The Kick in the Cast, the audio blog of a wannabe podcast novelist. For more information, please visit the show's website at kickit.yo5.ca, and to leave any feedback, please feel free to drop an email at outcastnovel at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and hope to see you next time.